This is Town Square Sunday On Demand. And now, 1420 WBSM's Jim Phillips. Jack Spillane, columnist for the online publication New Bedford Light, joins us periodically to discuss the news of the day. And Jack is here today. Good to see you again. Hi, Jim. Uh, Sadly, we had a police detective who was shot this week in the south end of New Bedford. It appears Detective LeVar Gilbert is going to be uh, okay, but it was clearly a very close call for him. It really is a reminder about how dangerous police work can be, even in a smaller city like New Bedford. Yes, and a reminder that people are having uh, shootouts, and it wasn't quite dark, I, I think. Or maybe it was just on the edge of darkness. But um, a very distressing event, both from the standpoint of a police officer shot, although it appears that it, they were not aiming for him, that he was... Um, it been a random bullet? Uh, a, a bullet that was meant for somebody else. Sure. Uh, he's, surve- he's down there surveilling the situation. This is a, a veteran detective. So um, there's a serious gun act- gang activity going on down there that they want to surveil. Um it's worrisome in any number of ways. Well, we certainly need to wish the detective well and speedy recovery. Absolutely. And um, Levi Gilbert, I you know I I noticed that they did not run a photo of him, and off, off you know usually when an officer is shot they will, and I think it's probably because he's a detective, and they want to allow him to go back to being yeah. a detective. Yeah, a gang in a gang unit, which yeah. uh, you know there is some. Uh, surveillance work, and undercover work, I'm sure. That, uh, so hopefully he can continue his career, I'm sure. Something you've written about before is now happening, Jack, I want to tell you. After a deadly rooming house fire in the North End back in March, you wrote about the lack of working sprinklers uh, in such establishments in New Bedford. And the city has listened, apparently read and listened, and the city's now cracking down. Sprinklers, in many cases, are now being installed. Some property owners are getting out of the business altogether. But uh, clearly there's some things happening yeah. in that area. So uh, not only myself, but our fine young reporter, Will Sennett, over at the New Bedford Light, um, broke a story about the lack of sprinklers in these rooming houses. And then as a columnist, I took it to the step of this is unacceptable. And... Um, you know, it's interesting. At first, we got the usual excuse-making. We're doing everything we can. Nothing can be done. And then I think they took a step back, and they realized that more could be done, and um, they're doing it. Well, that's good to see. Yeah, it is. It's an improvement for the city in New Bedford, for sure. I wrote a very interesting column, uh, Jack, about two men with histories of substance abuse. Uh, Stephen Greeny is a former police officer, who served time for a drug-related offense. 20 years later, he was rehired by the city for a position in the park's maintenance department. Uh, He's now facing a July 20th pre-trial hearing, the 20th, of course, this past week. I don't know how that turned out, but uh, there was a pre-trial hearing on the 20th on drug possession charges. Another man, uh, Robert... Burchell, who was hired by the New Bedford Whaling Museum, also with a history of drug abuse. Uh, I think in the Taunton area, perhaps. Uh, he's now been charged with stealing artifacts from the museum. He's been indicted. Cases awaiting 
a trial in Superior Court. These are two people who were given second chances who apparently failed. Yep. Um, in both cases, in, in, the, in the case of um, uh, former Detective Greeny, it was a very serious charge, and that is that in return for a bribe, he outed a fellow detective to um, a drug dealer. The, the, the detective could have gotten killed. It's, it's very serious. He served federal time for that. In the case of Mr. Birchall, he served time in the county facility basically for being a, um, a, a, a shoplifter. Um, so he had a history of, of, of thievery. Um, you know, this uh, issue touched me because I've worked with the substance abuse um, industry enough to know that one of the, big, the two big issues are employment and housing when people come out of jail. In fact, during the recent sheriff's race, the high rate of recidivism in Bristol County was one of the big issues. And the social workers like Carl Alves, um, who was in my column, have told me that we have to give these people a chance because otherwise they're either going to be in the public dole forever or they're going to go back to lives of crime because they don't know what else to do. And so, and as Kyle pointed out, the majority of them do succeed, but in this case, both of them failed miserably and will now go back to jail, you would think. They have yet to be tried, that we have not heard their, their um, whatever pleadings they may make. Uh, I know Mr. Greeny has said that he was taking things from the city that the city was going to throw out. You're not allowed to do that, even if the city is throwing something out. The city has a process for that so that people don't take advantage of it. And so um, uh, you wonder how Mr. Greeny could have gotten hired. Uh, Mayor Mitchell says he was not informed himself, and he has changed city's procedures so that now there has to be written. Anybody that they want to hire that has a criminal record both the department head and the personnel director have to inform the mayor's office and receive written permission. I didn't know whether it was a little bit of an overreach because what politician is going to ever want to give written permission to any criminal offender? I do support employing people. Perhaps these were not the right people. but yeah. um, And also there's a, there's a company that's going to do a background check as well. Yes, right? yes. Private company. Yeah, in, in both the case of the city and the Whaley Museum, they stepped. They, they did Corey checks in both cases. Although um, the man who the department head who hired Greeny, um, Mark Champagne, a very competent guy by all accounts, uh, he um, he knew of, of Mr. Greeny's background, and evidently he thought that he could. He had turned it around. Could could do the job. I my I, my understanding is he did inform the personnel director, but neither one of them informed the mayor, and the mayor is the chief executive. Of the city, yeah, I mean, so that that's a mistake. I think that really has to be rectified, and the mayor is attempting to do that. But I keep going back to Carl Alves's quote in your article, which says, "We've got to do something for these people. They have to have a second chance. You can't not have them do anything. They will. The taxpayers are going to pay, or the taxpayers are going to pay with uh, you know more criminal." Enterprise going yes. on out there. Yes. So uh, the hard part is really determining who to give these chances yes. to. The majority of offenders are low-level offenders, you know, uh, on, on, the, on the scale of things. What they did is wrong, and they, they paid their price. We don't put people in America in jail forever for um, lower-level crimes. And so they come out, they have a record, they 
most often have been involved with substance abuse issues, so they have that. So what are we going to do? Are we going to try to get them some training, give them a chance? Or people say, just throw away the key, lock them up. But we don't. Uh, cruel and unusual punishment is forbidden by the Constitution. If you have a drug transgression, that's not a life sentence. Yeah. And so we have to, as Carl says, find some way to employ them and find some way to house them when they first come out so that they don't immediately have a problem where they attempted to, to go back into a life of crime. It is a difficult problem that uh, society, uh, sometimes, I don't think we're dealing with that anywhere near as seriously enough. No. I, don't, I'm not, I don't think the corrections folks are preparing these people good enough once they get out. Uh, like everything else, it takes money, but yep. it also takes organization. You have to prioritize it. You have to say, this is a really important thing at this corrections facility, which the new sheriff, he was elected on this issue, so we hope he's doing that. We'll, we'll see over time. Uh, and you have to prioritize it. You're listening to Town Square Sunday. I'm Jim Phillips. My guest is Jack Spillane. He's the columnist for New Bedford Light. You can read Jack's columns and much more at newbedfordlight.org. So who's running for office in the city of New Bedford? Here we go. It's uh, the days are dwindling. Well, you know, it wasn't long ago that people said we have to go back to the two-year mayoral race because nobody is running for mayor in these four-year races. <laughs> so now we have four years, and nobody is still running. Now, there are, I think, six um, gentlemen, all, all men, who have taken out papers, with the exception of Michael Jansen, who is a perennial candidate, smart guy, but people have not been interested in electing him mayor over many times. So we have no one of a, a citywide stature, shall we say, who are taking out papers yet. That leads everyone to believe that Mayor John Mitchell is going to, in fact, seek a sixth term, which will be the longest consecutive run of anybody in New Bedford history, not quite as long non-consecutively as Charles Ashley, but the longest mayor in a long, long time in New Bedford. Um, he's not saying anything. I talked to him this week, but you know, the incumbent mayors, what they do is they hold out until the last minute because they have money already that they've raised in the past, and so that puts anybody who might have the statue and want to run against them at a disadvantage. So we've had a lot of complaints about the mayor this past four years, but there is no one who has put their hat in the ring. Um, many city councilors have, 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 have criticized him bitterly, <laughs> and um, they have not put their hats in the ring, and you would have to think that if he was not running, or they had gotten word that he was not running, that some of them would have. So uh, uh, that we do have um, two former city councilors, Bruce Stewart Jr. and actually an incumbent, Scott Lemer, who are running for the at-large race. Stewart used to be a Ward 4 councilor. Lemer is still a Ward 5 councilor, and they're both switching to the Ward 5 race. All the incumbents are running. There's only five positions. So there, there are seven competitive names in that race. All right, so that's, that's interesting, but uh, it doesn't really move the needle a great deal. It just doesn't. No, not in terms of getting a better turnout. Right. I mean, incumbents uh, generally fare very well, e even when challenged by people who you would consider to be formidable. So uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't see people jumping out on their porches and, you know, 
breeding candidates and opening their doors and signing. You know, it's, it's funny. We have competitive elections. Other places nearby, Fall River, has had a series of competitive sure. mayoral elections. They have I another one this year. And Taunton, Taunton uh, Shauna O'Connell, her former chief of staff, is running against her. Um, so people run in nearby communities. And the, the last person to challenge an incumbent, a long-term incumbent, and win was about five years ago when Chris Hendricks beat 30-year incumbent state rep Robert Casera. So it does happen, but not very often. Yeah, and that's uh, that's true. So uh, we've got uh, some interesting council races, although, again, I don't think that'll move the needle much in terms of turnout. And right now, we don't have a very competitive a mayor's race, although there are six names in the ballot. Is that what you said? I think there's six. I didn't recognize any of them except for Michael Jansen. Okay. So maybe there are people who have a, a network that I don't know about. I think I'm pretty well connected. So so um, we'll have to see. Uh, there's another week to go. I think July 28th is the last day to take out papers, and August 1st, the last day to return them. So by August 28th, we'll know, July 28th, rather, we'll know... Um, Who's taking them out? Okay. Um, speaking of the mayor, he's proposing the uh, uh, sale of nip bottles be banned in the city of New Bedford. He's going to hear it from package store owners, I would imagine, and others who, who sell the stuff. Yeah. So I took a, a walk around um, both the downtown and the Cushnet Avenue in the North End this week. Yeah. And it was not hard to find nips. You know, you'd say, oh, any given day, maybe they're there, maybe they're not. No, they're there. They're in the storm drains. They're in the flower beds. Any place that people gather in a in a pocket park or a park of any sort, they're there. So it's a problem. Um, the environmentalists have said they're not easily recyclable because they're so small and they, they muck up the separation machines. And the state, uh, uh, the city council has had on their appointments and briefings agenda for a year and a half, uh, an item to look into whether NIPS should be banned. It's been bottled up in committee. And I talked to Naomi Carney, the chair of that committee, and she said, well, we're waiting on the state legislature to act. Well, you know, you can wait a long time for the state legislature <laughs> to act. It's not that they don't care, but they realize that recycling has become a, a problem. China has gotten out of the business. Finding markets for some of these things is, is difficult. And NIPs, as I understand it, because of their size, are a hard product to get into the stream. The councilors have suggested, some of the councilors, not all of them, uh, have suggested a um, five-cent deposit. The mayor evidently decided um, he's not going to deal with the council this time. He sent it to the licensing board, which he says has the power to enact this NIP ban themselves. Sort of like the health board during COVID enacting various regulations, and neither the mayor nor the, the city council can reverse them. So I think um, that's, that's kind of a, a, a interesting look at the politics of the city. I asked the mayor why he did that. He goes, oh, no, I could have sent it either place, but he, clearly he sent it to the place. Well, the history is they bought, they've had it in committee for a long yes, time. Yes, yes. They haven't done anything. They haven't done anything, and the licensing board is three people all appointed by him. So I think it's a pretty good chance to be a band. <laughs> yeah. Now, I... Another community was going through this recently, and uh, I'm reading an article, and someone had talked to uh, package store owners, and they said, look, this is like 30% of my business or some crazy th- some crazy number. 
Yeah. I sell these things all the time. You are going to kill me. Yeah. So, so the number I heard was like 10 to 15% of their business, which is not small. And there is no doubt that the small liquor store owners, uh, I think people care more about them than the big corporate liquor stores, are going to be hurt by this. But, you, you know, Jim, my, my take is that I'm not insensitive to that, but I also think that we have a big problem in the city. We have a problem with plastic in the environment, and we tell people what they can sell for food, what's safe, what's not safe. We tell people what they can sell for cars. We tell people what they can sell and not sell for cleaning things. We're simply saying nips are not a social good. And really, the other argument that we got is that the people who tend to buy the most nips are people who are using them and throwing them out. And uh, that's just the, the fact of it. And people who are struggling with alcohol addiction often. Jack, uh, one, one more quick question here. You had an article about in the light, whether there was, you didn't, but someone wrote an article about uh, whether regular citizens could pass the citizenship test. And uh, not easy, especially if you haven't done any studying. Well, you and I walking in, taking the test, we could, we could, we get a few of the questions. Some I'm not sure. Yeah. So, to me, this is a problem of American high schools getting rid of their civics classes. Is that when they got rid of civics, they said that we want to spend more time on math and science. I get that. But I think that if people don't understand the government, that's dangerous. Now, the other side of that is America is a nation of immigrants. Almost all of us do not have relatives who came over in the Mayflower. Maybe some of them, you have a name that maybe you do, but, but, but I certainly didn't. My, my grandparents came from Ireland and Italy. So I, I think that um, immigrants have to apply themselves. They have to study. They have to acquaint themselves with the history of American government. And so oftentimes you have a situation where they know more about the government and the people who were born here. It's sad. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jack, thanks for coming in. Jack Spillane from New Bedford Light. We'll see you in a few weeks. All right, Jim. Town Square Sunday will continue in just a moment. 